Today, the main idea of the simple of the sermon that we're going to talk about today is really simple. Uh, I, I set out wanting to do uh, an overview of all of Revelation 6 through 16, and uh, then question the wisdom of that. Uh, so we're going to sort of break it up into a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to do some overview of that whole uh, section of 11 chapters next week. This week, we're going to do a little bit of review. We're going to do a little bit of review of the first part of Revelation uh, so that you get your minds uh, set and focused on some of the main things that are going on in Revelation. And we'll look at Revelation 11 especially in a little while at the end of the sermon as a way of thinking about how you will read the whole of Revelation. Uh, today is sort of a recharge, sort of a reset button on reading through Revelation. Uh, if you've been with us from the beginning of Revelation, you'll remember we talked about how uh, it'd be a cool goal for us each week to read through uh, all 22 chapters of Revelation, which sounds on the face of it like a lot, and it is, but it's about an hour, 15 to 30 minutes reading. And uh, so if you can do that about once a week and get through Revelation, it will help you get a feel for the flow of what's going on. And so we're going to try to give you some information today uh, and get into the Word so that you can have sort of a reset button and get back into reading Revelation together as a congregation. Here's why reading through it is important. <clears throat> Everything we've been studying so far in Revelation is easy <laughs> in comparison to the next 11 chapters. That's why it's important to read. Everything that we've been studying is relatively easy and sort of sits on its own as a sermon at a time that you can understand and take something away from. What we're going to talk about in the next coming weeks here is pretty complex stuff for the full 11 chapters. So you really have to have a grasp of the overall flow of Revelation uh, so that as you're reading here in the coming weeks, uh, you won't just get lost in the fog uh, and just kind of come out dazed and confused. Um, so the first five chapters um, are really in a sense, easy in comparison to the coming uh, chapters. So let's do some review today and get the Revelation juices flowing. Uh, you're going to want to have your nose in a Bible because we're coming fast and furious. As we do two things, number one, review and reintroduce Revelation to you so you get some of the, the beginning stuff of the book. And then number two, give you an interpretive key for your reading of the book. We'll get there later. So let's, let's do some review. Turn to Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. The book of Revelation is an unveiling. Uh, we know that because the word revelation, from, wh from which we get our, our word apocalypse, uh, the word revelation is the very first word in that first verse. In the original language, it's the first words and most first word in most of our uh, English versions here, it says the revelation. Uh, but in the original Greek, revelation is the first word, meaning the emphasis is on the revelation. So it's given special emphasis. So if you're a circler, circle that title of the book there, the revelation of Jesus Christ, because that's the title of the whole book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, and revelation just means it shows or makes known Jesus Christ. The revelation of, the making known of Jesus Christ. As we've noted earlier, it's a revelation that is both from and about Jesus. It's both from and about Jesus. So if you're a circler, that word there, the third word for me in the ESV, the word of, circle that and put from and about. From and about. 
So we're rolling nerdy if you haven't yet gotten that idea today. Uh, so that you actually learn from the Word itself and not just from someone else. And we want to do it this way because coming a student of Scripture is how you form in yourself the mind of Christ, learning to think and to understand the world spiritually. It's not just going to happen uh, by osmosis, someone else doing it for you. You have to do the work of being in the Word so that it forms and shapes the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 for the note takers. Back to Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, the him there is Jesus, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So that servants there in verse 1 includes us. We're the servants who are the ultimate destination of this letter. It says, the things that must soon take place, that's what God is giving Jesus to show to us, the things that must soon take place. So Jesus, who verse 1 says gave the revelation Uh, got the revelation from God, is the He here where it says, He made it known. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant, John, who bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look there at that word, uh, made it. There, He made it known. That word, it there, if you're a circler, can refer to, in general terms, the revelation, the revealing, but it can also refer to the specific letter we're reading here. So it kind of connotes both of those things. The concepts are interchangeable. The book of Revelation, meaning the letter and the revealing of God there. That's what that little word, it, means. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Remember we talked about five parties being involved in the transmission of this revelation. You see them involved here. God the Father gave to Jesus, who gave to the angel, who gave to John, who gives to us this testimony. So we focused at the beginning of Revelation, if you'll remember, and how what we're holding here as the Word of God is sacred stuff. What we're holding here is sacred stuff. This this revelation here contains the very oracles of God, 1 Peter 4, and it outlines for us how we should live while we await God's finishing work in the world. We know this is sacred stuff because, verses 2 and 3, follow along, verses 2 and 3, it says, John bore witness to the word of God. Revelation is wisdom from God. That's what makes it a sacred word. He bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then the next part is what we call a benediction. It just means good word. It's a good thing to say. It's a good word. It usually starts with the word blessed, like this one here in verse 3. There are seven of these blessings in Revelation. Remember, the number seven is important because it talks about completeness and perfection. And there are seven uh, of these blessings in the book of Revelation. Someday we'll get out a chart of sevens and really blow everybody's mind. So, back to verse 3. We know that revelation is sacred because it comes from God, but also because of what happens when the Word of God is heard by those who have the ears to hear it. Remember, Jesus repeated that phrase in the letters to the churches in uh, chapters 2 and 3. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which means he was repeating something that was already talked about in the Gospels that he had said before. It says this, verse 3. Here's the blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. 
And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And that verse there, hearing and keeping are the same idea behind obedience. In fact, the the word for obey means to keep what you've heard. So to hear audibly as you sit in these pews means nothing if not accompanied by keeping that word. If not accompanied by bearing fruit for the kingdom as we've been called to. It says that those who hear and keep are blessed. And the time being near part there where it says the time is near at the end of verse 3. It refers to the work of God being completed in that He will... Don't miss this because it's big. We're going to talk about this a little bit throughout the rest of Revelation. This reference of the time being near means that God will both save and judge now and later. The process that we see being unveiled in Revelation is that God will both save and judge, and it's already started and it will be finished. Both of those activities of God's saving and His judging are happening both now and later on. They're not done yet, obviously. Uh, But they've already started happening. That is why, as you're reading through Revelation, and you get to a passage and you think to yourself, uh, so is this that I'm reading now, has this already happened, or is this not yet going to happen? Uh, The answer is often yes. It has already started and will be finished. It's why we talk about the already and the not yet. So is this already happening or is this going to happen? Yes, is often the answer. Which is why when you're reading through these passages, especially in 6 through 16 and following, you'll get to something and you'll think, not sure what this has to do with my life now because it sounds like then. Sometimes the answers are, what does it have to do with my life now? in ways that you wouldn't necessarily think of asking those questions. Uh, The fancy word for this concept of the already and the not yet is something I introduced a few weeks ago and asked you to go ahead and Google uh, and and research a little bit yourself. Uh, The word is inaugurated eschatology. It's the phrase that talks about uh, the already and the not yet. It has started. It's the beginning of the end. That's what inaugurated eschatology means. So, So the punishment and the saving have already begun happening. And here's the even crazier part. And and you you may want to write this down and let it simmer a little bit as you read through Revelation. Remember, what we're doing today in studying is to prepare you for reading through it. The crazier part of this is that we learn in reading through Revelation, if we have ears to hear, that God judges those He loves even now. God is judging those He loves even now through the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. God judges those He loves even now so that He can save us later. In the person of the Holy Spirit, He's sanctifying us and purifying us to make us ready for a relationship with Him if 
if we will have hearts open to hear that convicting work. And, and friends, lots of believers like to go right up to that point and pretty much say, you know what, I'm, I'm good. Um, <laughs> I know where I'm going, I, I, I think. Growth in godliness may just mean learning to love the discipline that is calling you home. Growth in godliness might really just mean learning to love God's discipline. The kind of discipline by which He is judging us now so that He can call us home. Hebrews 12.7 says that it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Revelation prepares us for that. So keep that in mind as you're reading through. Uh, Go home and read Revelation 12, by the way. It's great, great stuff. Back to Revelation 1. Verse 4 is where we see the official greeting here of the letter. Read along here, verse 4. The official greeting. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And here's the greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. God the Father there is eternal and sovereign. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. The Holy Spirit is sometimes represented in Revelation uh, by seven spirits, meaning the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, this is verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. In other words, verse 5 is saying Jesus is fully God. He is fully deity. So, so though the word Trinity doesn't occur in Scripture, the concept does, and here's one of many places uh, where we see both uh, all three of the persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit represented here. So put that in your back pocket when you need to uh, talk to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. Keep reading verse 5. Cool stuff to show you here coming up in verse 7. This is the second half of 5. It says, To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. We're obviously talking about Jesus here. It says, verse 6, That He made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This idea about being made a kingdom and priests to God uh, is a loaded concept here in this passage that that reaches back into uh, the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis, uh, when we learn of this concept of being made in God's image. And being made in God's image includes the dominion piece, includes this idea of dominion over creation. Uh, And that dominion, of course, is not from us. It's given to us by God. The dominion is ours because God gave it to us. In other words, we are priests in the sense that we can communicate with God and that we have real purpose and responsibility because God gave it to us when He made us. That's sort of what this little bit of revelation means when it's reaching back to Genesis and including this idea of being made a kingdom and priests uh, to our God. So, so long story short, this verse here is saying that, uh, that Jesus' blood enables us to live in relationship with and to take up God's purpose of giving Him glory as the real source of all dominion. 
That's big stuff. In that we have been created by God, and in that Christ comes and accomplishes the work that he started, he establishes even before then, but he finishes it later, that we can have relationship with him and take up his purpose that he gives us in giving him glory as the source of all dominion. There's a bunch of cool Old Testament stuff like that throughout Revelation, uh, some of which we'll talk about next week. So a little bit more uh, Old Testament stuff here. Look at verse 7, where it says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. This is a phrase here, coming with the clouds, that links Revelation with the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, We have just started to make some of these parallels because there's a ton of them. Uh, There's a mountain of stuff behind this. Uh, Basically, in Daniel 7.13, if you're taking notes, in Daniel 7.13, it says, I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there's that phrase, came one like a son of man. So back to Revelation 1.7 here. John's vision here reminds him of that Daniel passage in Daniel 7.13. He sees Jesus coming like this in Revelation, and he makes the connection. And there are tons of these kinds of connections we'll continue to look at. Uh, so back to Revelation 1.7, it says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, there's that phrase, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That idea of Jesus being pierced is another Old Testament concept that John, uh, when he saw this vision, reminded him of Zechariah 12.10. If you're taking notes, Zechariah 12.10, where it says that the Jews will mourn, they will mourn when they look on him whom they have pierced. So, so here in this place in Revelation, John is announcing that coming king. He's reaching back to the Old Testament and saying, remember those concepts? This is what's going on now. This is the consummation, the completion of all that. This Jesus that is here now is fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies and concepts. So John is announcing the coming king here, the capital C, capital K, the coming king who will come as the Son of Man promised in the Old Testament. He will be on the clouds and he will be pierced. The Jews liked the on the, clou- on the clouds part, uh, but they sort of missed the piercing part. Look at verse 8 here. Uh, the announcement of the coming king isn't just made by John, it's declared by Jesus himself. Read verse 8. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. Another one to put in your back pocket for when someone tries to convince you uh, that Jesus didn't claim to be God. Revelation 1.8. Look at verse 9. It says this. I, John, your brother, and I love this phrase, your brother and a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. This is like John saying, okay, it's back to me. I'm, I'm speaking again. This is not the Alpha and the Omega. This is like the earlier greeting where he says, hey, I'm writing you a letter. But also notice that he calls himself a partner in the tribulation. In other words, he's telling us up front that trial, that tribulation was happening then. Because he's already a partner in it, according to his own report. So what this means, at the the outset of Revelation... 
is that in following Christ, you will have trouble. Tribulation exists. In following Christ, you will have hardship. In, in, In trying to live after the one who goes before carrying the cross for us and on our behalf, we will have trouble. I don't know where we get this silly notion of Jesus is easy to follow and he exists to make me happy. Uh, But it's an unbiblical idea that we sometimes try to sell people on when we tell them they need to come follow Jesus. When we sell people on easy Jesus... The first sign of tribulation, the first sign of trouble, when following Him becomes hard, where are they? We haven't brought them to Jesus. We have lots of times brought them to follow us. And that's not not Bible. We need to make crystal clear that much the opposite might be the reality about the Christian life. That the call to death to self, is the real Bible call. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Uh, Jesus himself spoke harsh words that were hard to follow. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So friends, don't go through life thinking that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. In fact, in fact, if you are really following Christ and picking up His cross. It will be hard because it will cost you everything because you have made Him Lord and Master so that you will follow Him on the road to the cross and you will help pick up His burden. That's the call of following Jesus. (laughs) Which means, believer in Christ, Some of us just need to stop whining when it gets hard. Guilty as charged. But when it's hard, then you know. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those He loves. Some of us need a little more frustration in our life, perhaps. (laughs) To squeeze out the self we are still in love with. Maybe some of us, instead of praying for temporary circumstantial relief, maybe we should be praying for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. Lord, give them trouble. So that they will give up the fight and die to themselves. And love you alone. Until Christ is everything, Christ is nothing. So read Revelation knowing that if Christ isn't everything, then He is nothing. Revelation is written so that you can see beforehand that when God finishes what He started, things are going to get real. And either you're ready to hope in His promises, or you are not. So trouble, trouble should not surprise us. 
So some of us just need to stop whining as if it's supposed to be different. Who told you that lie? Not Jesus. Not the model of Christ on the road to the cross to save you. Now, as soon as I say something like, stop whining, I know that there are some who may think I'm belittling your suffering. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm telling you that it is your response to your suffering that indicates whether or not you are a child of God. No one's saying it's not hard. (laughs) But this is the message of Revelation. God's children who are freed from sin by Christ's blood, are conquerors. Revelation is saying we are conquerors who do not roll up in a little fetal ball when the first sign of hardship happens in our lives. Because we have hope greater than rolling up in a little fetal ball when the first hardship happens. We have hope that lasts forever. And he's telling it us to us here. Christians endure. Christians Endure with patience. So when John calls himself a a partner in the tribulation, he means it. Revelation calls us to patient endurance. There is an epic battle that is pictured for us in Revelation. An epic battle that is to proclaim in the lives of people the truth of Revelation eleven fifteen to 19. I'm just going to point it out to you quickly here. You're going to want to turn there. Revelation eleven fifteen through 19. We don't have time to go through all of this, but in your study notes, there's what we call a chiastic structure. It's in the shape of an X. And in, in a chiasmus, uh, a chi- a C-H-I just means X. So in the middle of that X is often the main focus. And this is a chiastic structure for the whole book of Revelation. And so in your study notes, you can see there that the main point of all of Revelation happens in those verses in chapter 11 where the seventh trumpet is blown. And in 11.15... Loud voices in heaven say, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. There's lots of cool stuff uh, going on here uh, that I don't have time to tell you all about. But, but, But the beginning section and the end section sometimes have some parallels. And you'll go to the next one, it might be a contrast. You go to the next one, they might be similar Uh, Those kinds of things are happening until it gets to the apex, the climax of the whole book, which is right smack dab in the middle of the book, 11.15 to 19. It all leads up to and comes out of the central statement in 11.15 that Christ is the King. And so it says this, verse 15, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's the very heart of the entire book. It's the statement that everything has been leading to, and it's the statement out of which everything follows comes from. It's the rock-bottom statement you can depend on for all time and all situations. Christ is the king. 
And Revelation sings the praises of the one who is both king now and forevermore. The theologians tell a story that sort of illustrates for us how Christ's triumph that has already happened benefits our lives. I want you to imagine a city that's under siege. The enemy that surrounds the city will not let anyone or anything leave that city. Supplies are low and the citizens are fearful. But in the dark of the night, there's a spy that sneaks through the enemy lines He has rushed to the city to tell the people that in another place, in another realm, the main enemy has already been defeated. The leaders have already surrendered. Which is to say that the people of that kingdom need not be afraid. In fact, it's it's only a matter of time until the troops who are besieging the city now receive the news, and lay down their weapons. So friends, we may seem now to be surrounded by the forces of evil all around us, disease, injustice, oppression, death. But the gospel is that the enemy has already been defeated at Calvary. And so things are not the way they seem to be, and it's just a matter of time until it becomes clear that the battle is already over. So live out of that truth, friends. As you read Revelation, live out of that truth.